You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. If you listen to the podcast, and of course you do because you're hearing this right now, you know that I always ask my guests what their preferred method of self-care is. Well, here's my answer, a good cup of coffee. This year has truly made me appreciate the little things that make my life better, and a good cup of coffee goes a long way. That's why I switched to Four Sigmatic and I haven't gone back. They use mushrooms in their beans and it gives me a kick in the morning that I didn't know I needed before and now I miss if I have anything other than Four Sigmatic. Once you give them a try, trust me, you're not going to want to go back. So go check out the link in my show notes or on my podcast website and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off. Check out Four Sigmatic today. This week on the Choose Your Struggle podcast, it's Peter Kreikant who's helping address overdoses in Scotland. But first, play it again, Kid Mental. Things ain't always gonna go our way. You can always win when you just struggle. And some battles will be yesterday. But today is for a new weekend. You just struggle. And don't worry about what they say. But you can always win when you just struggle. And you can bounce back. Just as Come on in, listen to just struggle. Hello and welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. It is great to be back with all of y'all. Thank you so much to the positive feedback I got. Oh man, on Monday's episode, it was it was a heavy one, and and I know uh, that I wasn't perfect in how I talked about it. Thank you to the couple of you who said that, you know, they appreciated the nuance that I tried to take with it, which is nice to hear. I appreciate that. Shout out to my buddy, Spark Tabor, over on the Cookies for Breakfast pod. If you haven't listened yet, I and our other good friend, Pat McGrath, are on this week's episode of his podcast talking about a (laughs) sort of a a longstanding issue in our friendship. It's a good conversation, and, and and I am probably gonna put it out on here at some point. But I definitely recommend you all go check out Cookies for Breakfast because obviously I love my my friend and uh, I love his show. So this week's episode is with someone who a lot of us talk about this, and I don't want to discount the work that I'm doing and other people do in this similar vein. You know, coaching is really important ending of stigma, talking about these things is very important. Today's guest is Peter Krikant, who is a frontline hero in Scotland. Peter is a guy who basically said, I am so tired of sitting on the sidelines and watching people overdose, watching my government do nothing. I'm going to do something. And he started the first safe consumption site in Scotland. It's a van. Uh, he just upgraded it to an ambulance, so congrats to Peter. Uh, that He drives around, and they have Narcan on site. They have defibrillators, all that kind of stuff. People can use safely. Uh, as Peter talks about, he was arrested for doing this at one point, but he is changing hearts and minds, and he's changing policy, and that's incredible. We can all learn a lot from Peter for this skill to say, I'm tired of waiting. And this is something I talk about a lot with friends that, uh, as I've said now numerous times, I'm, no, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm an independent, because I honestly think that most of these issues uh, our leaders are letting us down on, and they're doing it intentionally in a lot of cases because it's better for them to not solve some of these things so that we keep fighting about it and they keep being able to use it as a campaign tool against the other side. Uh, I saw a lot of this as an insider during my years of politics. It's just gross. And so one thing that I have said numerous times is that we need to be doing this work and sort of forcing the government to catch up. And even when that means getting in trouble and, and, and you know facing loss ourselves, Peter is such a hero for that. He was like, screw it. I'm done. I'm done sitting on the sidelines and watching this happen, even if it means loss for me. As Peter talks about in this, he's got a wife, he's got young kids, but he said, I have to do this. And so just, I'm, 
I'm so in awe of his work in that respect. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation. It is an interesting conversation. I'm sure you all will greatly enjoy. Short intro this week because I wanted to leave more time for Peter. It's a little bit of a longer uh, conversation. But this coming Monday episode, it was it, this last week, this week was, was a little bit longer. It's not going to be like that in terms of me chatting, but what's going to follow is rock bottom storytellers. I know I've been sort of teasing this for a couple of weeks. It's coming this week. If you miss Rock Bottom, the video is online. It'll also be in the show notes of this Monday Motivation. That being said, if you're like, I don't want to watch these videos, I just want to listen to it while I'm driving or something, that's cool. That's what Monday is going to be with a bit of an intro from me talking about some things. But without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Peter Krikent. Ever since Mountain Made CBD founder Mike Passion came on the podcast way back in the beginning of season one, I've been lucky enough to call them a sponsor. And I say lucky because I love CBD. I preach about it to everybody. Mountain Made is the best in the game. They've got lower than the federally compliant level of THC, so it ships nationwide. But they've got enough THC that you get the entourage effect. It's the best of both worlds. I love their boost. It's a 10 milligram chewable. It's orange sherbet and white tea leaf flavor. It's fantastic. I take a couple of them throughout the day and it's got me feeling pretty good. If you want to start the morning on a high note, they've got Build. Build is a 50 milligram quick release tablet to take it with your coffee. You get it going in the morning and you feel great throughout the day. At the end of the day, they've got Recover and Recover is a 25 milligram chewable. It's mango flavored. It's got magnolia. It'll leave you feeling pretty nice at the end of the day. My wife and I even picked up their dog chewables, which our dog loves. She's got anxiety, she's a rescue dog, and just one of Mountain Maid's chewables leaves her feeling pretty good. But here's the thing, don't just take my word for it. I turned my wife on to Mountain Maid and she loves it. So let's hear what she has to say. Mountain Maid is the only CBD I have ever loved. The only CBD I've been willing to purchase over and over and over again, and I don't see that stopping. So go to mountainmadecbd.com, and when you check out, tell them Choose Your Struggle sent you. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review, or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. My name's Peter Crycant. I am a drug policy campaigner. I live in Scotland, and about four months ago, I started the UK's first overdose prevention centre. Uh, we currently don't have the legal framework for that. I think they're sometimes referred to in the States as guerrilla sites, um, pop-up sites sometimes in Canada. Um, so yeah, despite not having a legal framework, I went out and provided a space for people to inject uh, drugs primarily in Scotland, a lot of cocaine injecting and a lot of heroin injecting. Um, we, we, we provide a, a safe, sterile environment rather than people currently uh, using in Glasgow and in Scotland and really horrible, unsterile conditions in alleyways, under bridges, abandoned buildings. You know, people are often found dead in our streets. Um, so, yeah, and, and my own background, I, I come from a background of many, many years ago now, um, being homeless, being a public injecting drug user. Um, I'm now, thankfully, um, I've got a home to stay in, you know, I'm married and I've got two beautiful children and, um, you know, I worked with people with drug and alcohol problems in Scotland and just found that, you know, we, we don't have the basic harm reduction in place to keep people alive and also things like uh, safe supplies, prescription medications, you know, that, that those basic harm reduction tools that you see all over the world are lacking in Scotland. So I uh, threw my job in and I went out and just did it anyway, civil disobedience. So, you know, I'm sure I say this on behalf of all of my listeners, but thank you for that work. It's so important and it's sadly so brave. It shouldn't be. It should be a thing that is like, be I mean, you know, being a doctor is incredible, but it shouldn't be particularly brave to do this work, but it is. And so thank you for that. So. I guess the, the question would be a lot of people feel the way you feel a lot of people 
but you did something that most people don't and you did something about it. You, you launched this campaign. Talk, talk to me about, you know, let's talk about how that actually started. But before that, how did you get to the point where you actually said, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it, it was it was partly with within my last job. My last job was uh, an HIV street outreach coordinator. Glasgow has the 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 largest ongoing outbreak that that the UK has seen in the last thirty years. It's currently uncontrolled and still ongoing just now. So my job was to go out and and test uh, public injecting homeless drug users and provide a rapid uh, result. We can test and we can give results for HIV status within 10 minutes. Now, I was doing that. We're, we're giving out basic harm reduction in terms of clean injecting equipment, you know, and uh, advice around not sharing equipment. You know, this HIV outbreak's condensed amongst people who are injecting drugs publicly. But then I would be walking away from those people knowing that they would be back at risk again later that day in the same conditions, you know, that I was injecting drugs in over 20 years ago now. And I just thought, look at the experience of places like Canada, places like, um, you know, Denmark. You know, the way that these things got started was that civil disobedience. You know, and the Scottish, it's it's a unique system here in Scotland. You know, we have the Scottish government, which aren't in control of... Uh, drugs uh, legislation and drug laws, those sit still within the UK government. Um, so, you know, the Scottish government were and the UK government were both using this as a political football. You know, if only we had devolved powers, the Scottish government would, government would say, and the, the UK government would say really silly things like, you know, drug consumption rooms are just a distraction. Um, from Scotland having the the, the worst drug-related death per head of population in in the world now, you know. So I just thought, I can't can't stand back and allow this to happen. Let's just go and do it, you know, like, despite the legislation. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. You know, the first time I drove my van out to Glasgow to allow people to come and inject drugs in it, I thought, what's going to happen? Are the police going to arrest me? Am I I going to be thrown in prison? You know, um, but at that point, I didn't care anymore you know more than four people are dying a day and when you put that in, in context per head of population that's 235 people per million of our population that are dying that's 15 times higher than the eu average death rate from preventable drug deaths you know and, and as somebody who had worked in that environment for just a couple of years you know i take my hat off to the campaigners you know in the the, the drug policy campaigners and the people that have worked, uh, you know, dedicated their lives for the last 10, 15, 20 years to trying to reform drug policy by talking about it. But I'm not one of those people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to talk, talk for me, you know, I can only do it for so long. I can only campaign for so long before I actually take practical actions to show. And what I've shown through running this facility is it actually doesn't break any laws for the, the, the 50 years old, outdated um, Misuse of Drugs Act. You know, it, it doesn't. The Misuse of Drugs Act is so old that within that, it talks about a, a premises being allowed or, or being uh, provided for people to prepare opium to be smoked. I mean, what are we talking about here? You know, like the Victorian opium dens, you know, we're so outdated with our drug laws here in the UK. You know, and similarly, it's similar in other countries, but we have this real sort of underlying deep connection to multiple drug use. You know, there's when people have toxicology reports once they've died, there's, there's most often four or five substances in their system. So, you know, we've got to, we've got, Overdose prevention centres are a small part of what we need, but other basic harm reduction tools are unavailable here, like optimal dose prescribing for things like um, methadone. You know, heroin-assisted treatment is practically non-existent. We have 20 spaces in Glasgow, and that's it. No more spaces for heroin-assisted treatment in the whole of Scotland. So, you know, we we are, you know, we often have this debate here, Jay. You know about recovery, abstinence-based recovery, and there being too much uh, 
I talked about in terms of harm reduction. We need more re re recovery and residential rehabilitation. But I hate that debate because we don't even have basic harm reduction. You know, like until we get basic harm reduction and keep people alive, they're not going to get an opportunity to get to a residential rehabilitation centre. So let that be a second thought once we actually get people into treatment and keep them alive, you know. I, that's such an incredibly important point is that we spend so much time debating the what ifs. Right. It's the well, but what if we do that and this happens and then nothing happens, nothing gets done. And, and so that's why I, again, think it's so incredible that, that you know, and, and you sort of pass it off as well. I can't sit back and talk, but a lot of people do. A lot of people are, are content to just debate these issues. And you said, screw it. I'm going to try this out. And, and, and now how long have you been doing your how long has your van been in operation? So we, we launched the van on International Overdose Awareness Day, which was the 31st of August, 2020. Um, so we it's, it's not a full-time service. You know, I, I am unpaid. I don't get any money, and I haven't for, the, for uh, the best part of a year now since I started this campaign. You know, the, the first thing that I did was went to Copenhagen and visited the person who started the civil disobedience mobile facility over there. I got to see the van that they currently use, but that's with legal frameworks because they have static sites now. Within a year of them starting to do it through this van and just taking it out and doing it anyway, they had an official site. Now Copenhagen has the world's largest drug consumption facility in age 17, and the van that they use now is, is obviously funded, and they go out to areas which are outside the city centre to support people who are injecting in more rural areas. So, you know, that was the first step. And then there was obviously the, 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 the legalities of getting insurance. You know, the, the van needs to be insured. You know, the, the first insurance policy was cancelled after the police contacted the insurance company and they cancelled it. So I had to get another insurance. You know, I had to get a van. I had to get it out. So it was a, it was a few months in the making before I took it out on International Overdose Awareness Day. And so far, we've supervised 118 injections. Um, and, and and based on the actual amount of time that we've been out, that's roughly two injections per hour. So and and, and you know we 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 know that there's about five hundred plus people publicly injecting in, in Glasgow City Centre. So this is desperately needed this this service, you know. And and I am very hopeful now, you know, that having met with the, the first minister of Scotland, um, Nicola Sturgeon, and a newly appointed drug minister that we will see an official facility soon, you know, that they will challenge devolution and the powers that they do have to go out and do this. Um, because most policy and drug, drug policy experts and legal experts think that there is a way to get this done without having to wait on the UK government's approval. So hopefully that will happen soon, Jay, and then I can go and get a normal job. <laughs> so... I think that for a lot of my listeners, they are very familiar with this work because we talk about this a lot. But but a lot of it is familiar with the United States' approach, which I know is very overlapping with the UK because they've kind of worked very closely together for a lot of these issues. But is is it... I guess the question would be, is there reasons because you're so close to some of these other countries in Europe that are doing this way better that, that this is going to be a little easier for you? Because this in the United States is nowhere close. We, we've, we've tried. There was one that was literally set to open last year in Philadelphia and, you know, they got shut down. And it seems like this is that's the closest we're going to get for a while. But you are you are saying that there's hope. Is that coming because you're able to see this sort of firsthand in other countries near you? Or is it honestly just more common sense over there than it is over here? Well, you know, I think I think there's hope because within Scotland, you know, there's real support for this. You know, there's real support for overdose prevention centres. So that primarily gives me hope because we do have our own Scottish government. Um, you know, the, the, the stumbling block has, has in the past always been 
around the UK laws not being devolved because the Scottish Government have said that they are in support of this and they would set them up if the powers were devolved. I think the, the you know the unique situation, which I suppose in some ways is a little bit similar, similar to situations in America. I mean, essentially now you see 15 states in America that are breaking federal law through the legalisation of cannabis. So I suppose we are asking the Scottish Government to do something similar but the, 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 we have this real grey area in the law. And that's why I'm hopeful that they'll push through with the grey area because the Misuse of Drugs Act doesn't specifically cover safer injecting facilities. And that's what we're ask, asking for, you know, essentially, not a, 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 a place where people could come and smoke drugs, but a place where public injectors will inject drugs. Um, so, yeah, hope, hope, hope to see it um, by the time we get to the sort of February or March, because in, in May, Scottish government elections are coming up and everything changes then, you know, the, it all changes to campaigning for elections rather than focusing on four people a day dying from drug deaths. The politics piece is, is very important because that is what is the death knell for a lot of this work, right? So... You know, obviously, again, my listeners know about all the arguments made against this kind of stuff here in the U.S. What are you hearing over there? You know, the people who are against this, what are their arguments particularly? Well, it's getting harder and harder to find people in Scotland who are against that. I mean, the, the, the reality is that we still have, a, you know, the conservatives who don't openly you know, I suppose that's very much like your Republicans. You know, the the, the Conservatives don't openly actually uh, support uh, drug consumption facilities. You know, like the UK Conservatives especially are, are quoted to be saying things like they're just a distraction, you know, whereas the Scottish Conservatives are quite quiet on the matter because there's cross-party support from the, Scot the SNP and the, the Labour Party. And on the street... <clears throat> Again, you know, the, the the police sort of interventions aside, you know, I was driving out for the first time thinking, you know, are the police going to intervene? What are they going to do? But also in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I'm parking this van right outside where people live. I'm parking this van right outside people's businesses. You know, I'm, I'm in the cent city centre of Glasgow, you know, the most populated city in, the, in, in Scotland with over 2 million people and, you know, bustling shops and businesses. And I'm thinking, what are they going to do? You know, what the bit, are the business owners going to, uh, and the residents going to come out with p p pitchforks and, 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 you know, try and chase me away and stuff. And I'm thinking... What's the response? But actually, the response that I've seen is that the residents and the businesses exactly in the area where I'm parking my van every week are very, very supportive. They can see the need for it. You know, we, we, any there's no logical reason against it now. You know, what is the point in giving a homeless injecting drug user clean injecting equipment? and then giving them nowhere to actually use that equipment and pushing them out of society into alleyways into these unsterile conditions where we, we can't engage with them, we can't talk to them, we can't offer them medication to get off of illicit drugs. You know, like the, 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 the logical argument now is really um, not there to be seen. You know, the UK government, I think, even to their own right-wing voters now are, are, are seeming, seeming uh, they, they look pretty uh, silly when they try to argue against these facilities, given all the evidence. You know, and I think we will see changes in America as well around things like this. And hopefully within the next term, you know, Joe Biden's already, you know, um, openly said, you know, that there was many, many mistakes made um, in the 70s and in the 80s, <clears throat> you know, and you can link the real out all-out all war on drugs to President Nixon, can't you? When he, he stood up and he said that we needed an all-out offensive on, you know, an all-out offensive and all-out war on drugs, you know. So I think there is potential when you've seen, obviously, Oregon, uh, the, the decriminalisation coming in in Oregon, you know, and, and, and I think as a, as a, as a, not just as nations, but as wor a, a world, you know, we're starting to see that, that drugs need to be regulated, you know, they need to be regulated and safely supplied to people to break up these criminal supply chains and gangs and actually uh, benefit society as a whole, you know. Uh, well, I love it. And before we get into the specifics of how your, your van works, let's uh, stop and give my listeners a chance to learn where they can find you online, where they can support you, all that kind of stuff. 
So yeah, you can find me on the, my main source of uh, sort of campaigning and uh, publicly campaigning at the moment is through Twitter. So it's uh, Pete Crycan underscore OPC, and you can also find me on in Instagram on the same Pete Crycan underscore OPC. If you Google safe consumption Glasgow. Uh, you the, one, the the first thing that will come up will be something to do with me, you know, or, or uh, overdose prevention centres, Glasgow, Scotland. Um, you know, the, the stories are just numerous out there now. You know, the, the New York Times to the the um, the Guardian, the Independent, practically every every single newspaper in the UK has has, has run some sort of story to headline news on TV. Um, so I'm easy to find. Uh, through Google, and and that's what 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 we need in terms of the campaign to to for drug policy reform just now. You know, we need more people to be getting on. It doesn't. I've heard people saying to me, you know, I live in Canada or I live in um, France. There's not much point in me retweeting your stuff, but actually there is. You know, wherever you live in the world, if you want to see drug policy reform, this has to be a worldwide initiative an all-out offensive against the war on drugs. Like, um, you know, Nixon said all those years ago, let's have an all-out offensive um, against the war on drugs. So uh, is there a financial piece? That, can people support you financially? How do, how do you do this? Yeah, so we've got a GoFundMe page, um, which you can find the link on the, the link tree on the top of my uh, profile on uh, my Twitter uh, you can also find that on my Instagram as well. And we do have a website, uh, safeconsumptionglasgow.com, uh, where you can find the donate button through there. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn as well for any uh, any business people. Um, Peter Kreika is straightforward on LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've got a lot of donations and a lot of funds coming in from private, you know, concerned members of the public. Uh, to, to support us and I actually just announced yesterday that we will be upgrading our overdose prevention centre um, so the, the van that I bought is, a, is an old van um, but we will be upgrading that and we will be buying a new a newer one or a, 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 and a, an ex-ambulance type van Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge sports fan. I start every morning by listening to the Locked On Celtics podcast, and I never miss a Reds game. So when it's time for me to grab a gift for the sports fan in my life, I check out Fanatics. They have everything you need from the best teams, the favorite players, and all the stuff is good. As a memorabilia and autographs collector, I trust Fanatics. But here's the best part. Fanatics always has some kind of discount going on. From free shipping to 50 to 70% off some items, you're going to get a great deal every time at Fanatics. So check them out using the link in the show notes or from my podcast website and help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Enjoying the podcast? Consider supporting it on Patreon. You'll get behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, extra bonus content, and best of all, a way to interact with me, your host. You'll also get discounts on merch like tank tops and magnets and all the other services I provide, like booking me to speak, coach or consult, or even advertise here on the podcast. Check it out in the show notes or in patreon.com slash choose your struggle. Plans start at as little as $3.40 a month and all the money goes right into the podcast. All right, let's get back to the show. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, yeah, so so for the listeners, I, I read about Peter's work through uh, Filter Mag a while back and uh, reached out to him. We got connected on LinkedIn. And, and not, at, not long after, you were profiled in New York Times, which was a very cool piece. How how did that come about? How did the times, you know, how how did that story work? 
So yeah, the Times one came about by they they have run a story about eighteen months prior, or maybe a year, eighteen months prior, about the drug death crisis in Glasgow, you know, and Scotland, and you know, the, at that point, our drug death rates were two hundred and eighteen um, people per million, which was sitting just above America at two hundred and seventeen people per million for that that year, that calendar year. So um, the reporter who is the 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 UK based reporter. Um, obviously seen some of the stories in the press about me doing this and got in touch and said, can we come up? And it's actually quite a quite a nice story because when they come up to do the story the, the year prior to that, they filmed with a couple of people, um, you know, and took pictures and those people showed them the public injecting areas that they went to and stuff. Um, and one of those uh, people that they had previously spent time with is a regular at my overdose prevention van, so they they were able to catch up with that same guy again, you know, and 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 it's I suppose it's a, a it was a nice opportunity for those reporters to see that he's still alive at least, you know that's that's the 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 reality, you know, and that that's what the hardest bit for me about running the overdose prevention service is, you know, I'm not out there every day, I'm out there weekly. And from week to week, it's knowing that the seeing the same people coming back each week. I go out. I think, will I see you next week? You know, will you still be alive? Because I know in between now and when I'm back here, they're going to be injecting drugs on their own. You know, in in, in areas that that nobody's going to see them if they if they overdose. You know, they're just going to die. For for my listeners, most of whom know what a safe injection site or a safe use site is, uh, some probably don't talk us through what it looks like you know you leave the house in your van and then what you know what does a day look like for your work so it's a pretty simple straightforward low-tech space you know it's a it's a, a former minibus most of the seats are out now um you know obviously given the times that i launched this was covid you know covid regulations so we've tried to abide by covid regulations we've got most of the seats out we've got about a meter distance between the two injecting areas inside the van um, it's, it's simply two seats two table two tables we've got stainless steel trays for the the, the injections to be prepared on each time somebody prepares an, inject, an injection you know the 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 the, the areas all wiped down and cleaned before the next person comes in to prepare their injection. Um, we provide the clean injecting equipment. We provide the sterile water. We carry Narcan or Naloxone. We call it most, it's most commonly Naloxone over here, um, which reverses the opiate overdose. Because we see a lot of cocaine injections, we also carry defibrillators, um, and we carry things like waters and, and, and also just little winter care packages. At the moment, homeless people were given uh, uh, protein bars, protein shakes. You know, we've got hats and gloves and scarves and all that type of stuff that we just give out as a, you know, a little extra care package if people need it when they come to see us. Um, because many of the people that we see won't go to the traditional sort of services, you know, or, or uh, you know, places where they can get that sort of stuff, you know, because the majority of their time is spent getting money to get more substances, you know. So it's just giving everybody a little bit of a hand up. And as I say, it's very low tech. It's just uh, based on my experience of going to Copenhagen. You, and that's the thing. I mean, we have uh, a lot of um, medical doctors and nurseries who would be scared to work on a facility over here if it was if it was sanctioned by the Scottish government without changes to the UK government laws because they could be struck off by the, the, the British, the UK General Medical Council without the proper legislation in place. But my argument has always been that we don't need medical people in there, you know, to actually supervise the injections. You know, I've been doing it without any medical qualifications for the last four months now, and, and our volunteers have in, intervened in two overdoses and kept two people alive. You know, and, and you know, you don't need to be a nurse to administer or a doctor to administer Narcan. You know, naloxone. Was it difficult the first time you went out there to to, you know, I can imagine that the people would struggle to trust somebody. Given how much this has been stigmatized and, and the you know, I, I guess what I'm struggling to, to see is it, it, 
it would it would be shocking to me if someone just walked right in and trusted you. I mean, was there work to to do outreach to help people understand? Yeah, I mean, I, because I worked in Glasgow um, with a lot of the people that that come to the van already, they knew me, so I had already already had some level of trust there, you know, and. People, a lot of people know my history. You know, we, we're under this. I think sometimes, just in general, we're under this illusion as well that, you know, homeless people never read a newspaper or, you know, don't see any any media or social media or anything. You know, they're they're, they're just in this bubble where they they don't know what's going on in the world, which is, you know, I think partly quite quite partly untrue. So people knew about the service pretty quickly, um, you know, and I did some outreach work before we actually launched to let people know what we were doing. And then a couple of people used it and then the word spread that we were there. And, and, and the reality is that they've got a choice, you know, they've got a choice when I'm there, whether they, they're using this well-lit, warm, sterile environment where they've got people looking after, looking out for them or they use in Russia, you know, because the the people who are using in an alleyway, they'll they'll often rush and and they'll be trying to get their hit really quickly in case the police walk through or in case a member of the public walks through, and then that results in the infections and you know missing their hit and the, the drugs being wasted anyway. You know that they spent all that time getting the money to get. You know so. Um, so we became popular really quickly, you know, and, and there's, there's also a bit of a novelty aspect to it, Jay, for some of the, you know, the, the people who are using the van because, you know, the press are always around. There's all, there's usually media in some form or, or another, you know, you've seen the Vice story, the, the New York Times, you know, the national newspapers, the, the national TVs. Uh, there's usually some form of camera there. The, the, the homeless people are like, wow, this is cool. And, the, and the, you know, the... the, the some of them, when they when I first turn up in the morning, if there's people there really early to use the service, you know, they'll be like, "What media is coming today? You know, is there anybody coming that we can talk to?" You know, um, so yeah, it's, it's a novelty still for people, but I think what I've certainly proved is that we we if we had an official facility, it would be well used. And, and you said you're currently doing this one day a week. Is that right? One day a week just now, yeah, and I'm I'm hopeful that we actually will soon be able to announce an official bit of funding, um, which is coming from outside the UK. It's coming from from Europe, and if we can announce that official funding, um, you know, and also if there is certainly there's certainly talks going on with the Scottish government, you know, our First Minister Nicola Sturgeon and the senior law officer, the Lord advocate who controls policing and crime, so essentially has the ability to step in and say to the police, you know, I don't want you to police this, you can take a step back from it, you know, you shouldn't be monitoring it. Um, so if that sort of stuff happens, there is the potential for me to actually uh, take a salary, you know, and, and then maybe get a little bit of money, and if that happens, you know, in conversations with my wife, um, I may I may be able to increase the amount of time that I'm out, you know. But it's always since day one, this has always been about a push for political change, so that we can have an officially sanctioned site that can be open seven days a week, you know, that can give all the additional support, like the add-on benefits that 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 come from an official site of. You know, support with health and welfare, and you know, support with uh, wound care, and support, you know, with social security, and you know, getting into drug treatment programs. So you mentioned one of the hopes is is that the sort of the the people who who control the police will tell them, "Don't worry about this." Is that a thing that you ever have to worry about? Is there ever any harassment in that respect? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there has been. I mean, the, the, I'm not sure if you've seen the newspaper reports and the reports, but I was charged with with an offence, and that was an an, an alleged obstruction offence. Um, so there was homeless people in the van, three homeless people in the van, uh, obviously in there to do what they do, and the police wanted to to get into the van to search these homeless people. Uh, eventually, it ended up with the police lining these three homeless people up against the wall and searching them in the street. Um, so you know that was that was, and and there has been times where the police have monitored the service, you know, and sat, and obviously if they're doing that. 
people are less likely to come along and use the van because you know they're they're, they're obviously still in possession of an illegal substance you know and could be charged with possession of that illegal substance but the argument has always been about the the legalities of the space being provided i mean it's clear that we can put in a a, a non-prosecution stance for people in possession of drugs that's within our power in scotland um so there's been there's been interactions but every single officer and i've spoke to scores of officers now 20 30 40 officers maybe that have came out to 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 visit the van um Every single one, apart from one, has all have all expressed that they believe that the Misuse of Drugs Act is very outdated. The way that they're currently trying to deal with it, the the problem of uh, drug use in the cities in the city of Glasgow is is outdated. They can't continue to work like this because they're they're fighting a war that they can never win, and they they police officers on the front line now recognise that. They now understand that. You know, you're talking to, to officers that are younger that are like 20 years, I'm talking to these guys who are 20 years younger than me, you know, like 20, sometimes even as as 25 years younger than me, you know, they come from a different generation, you know, and, and I think even the older officers, I, there was a sergeant that I was speaking to who's like two years off of retirement, you know, joking away to me about when I should take my lunch hour because if he gets called out in a complaint towards the end of his day, that means that he's got to stay on and do extra time. I mean, even having like twenty three years, twenty three years in the in the police, you know, tells me that you know, like he can't work with the system that he's got to work with. It's outdated. Well, that is definitely encouraging, uh, and I hope that we will see something similar here in the U.S. We're, we're not quite there, but um, fingers crossed. Well, before we go into the final questions, if you wouldn't mind one more time telling my listeners where they can find you online and support you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I suppose the main place is, you know, on my Twitter feed, it's PeteCryCan underscore OPC. And then you can find all that through my um, website as well, which is safeconsumptionglasgow.com. Awesome. Well, I, I always finish with the same two questions. The first is not just during COVID, but but normally, you know, this is we're, we're living through a stressful time, but there's always stress around. What is your personal self-care look like? What are, what are your self-care habits? Yeah, that's that's a tough one because I'm not really that good at that, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 I do need to try and take a little bit more time to detach from what it is that I do you know I, I I don't get paid for what I do and I probably deliver 50 or 60 hour weeks you know in terms of just keeping up to date with all the you know the emails and the interactions and the media and the newspaper reports um, you know I'm writing quite a lot for newspapers just now as well um, so I need to, 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 to detach from it but what I do tend to try and do is you know, I've got a young family, I've got a nine-year-old boy and a five-year-old boy, So, and we're homeschooling at the moment, so the kids are at home, which is, is absolutely like the toughest thing ever because obviously all the schools are closed in Scotland because of coronavirus. Um, but I, I, in normal times, I, you know, I, I like to fish. I do a lot of fishing. Um, I absolutely fish in daft. I go fly fishing, and there's a, a local river Um just five ten minutes from my house i go to regularly um so yeah i mean i i like to do that sort of stuff mainly though as i say just uh spending time with my family my wife's american so um the last 10 years since we've been well we've been married over 10 years now but we we would be normally be in america uh, two or three times a year um but we don't do that as often now but we'll, we'll still try and get over obviously once or twice, well, at least once a year um, to the States and, and take the kids. We, we had the kids in Disney last year. So, yeah, all my stuff is focused around my kids, man. That's great. Um, all right, final question. You know, we've spent the last now almost 40 minutes learning why, you know, you're amazing, you're doing incredible work, and we should all follow you. But who are some people that you follow, that you read, that you listen to, that you watch? You know, what is it that we can all go check out that's influencing you? 
So yeah, I mean the the first thing that I I really would recommend is uh, Johan Hari's Chasing the Scream in terms of a, a, a book to read. You know that that kind of details where the war on drugs started. You know I think we often and I've even referred to it myself as you know we look to the seventies and the eighties. You know like um, Nixon and Thatcher and Reagan and those types of people. But actually you can date it back a lot a lot further than that to the the hundred year war you could call it now you know in terms of prohibition and alcohol and that's and alcohol prohibition stopping and then essentially the fbi and the the the, the having nothing to do thought so they they go and target the drug uh communities um you know and, and the link to you know the the oppression of black people you know and stuff like that as well so that would be a book i would recommend recommend following him online as well obviously through his instagram and twitter accounts but then there is more there's lots of activists out there like zoe dodd um, who's based in, in in Canada? Um, you know, I definitely recommend following her and what she does. And then there's some great organisations like the Drug Policy Alliance. You know, you've got uh, Release Drugs in in the UK and Transform Drug Policy Foundation. Those are two um, organisations which have absolutely got my back and have had my back from day one. You know, and and so much of the advice around just getting the, the, the overdose prevention centre actually out and running, you know, to, you know, the practicalities of it, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the inside it, uh, all came through those organisations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, lots of, lots of them I could, I could go on about. Um, here in the UK, you know, we've got individually, uh, you know, people like Karen McCluskey, who 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 done the 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 work around the, the reduction in knife crime in Glasgow, you know, and, and she works for Community Justice Scotland. Um, you know, her work's absolutely fantastic and worth following her on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, lots I could go on and on. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. Cool. Thank you, Jay. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that it's not the only thing I do. Choose Your Struggle is an entire brand. I speak, I coach and consult. I have rock bottom storytellers. There's a lot going on. And sometimes I get to a project and I go, man, I just, I can't do all of this myself. So I turn to Fiverr. It's so easy to find incredible professionals who can help me out. I've hired people to help with marketing, help with SEO, help with my website, so much great stuff all on Fiverr. I even found Kid Mental, who did the incredible theme song on Fiverr. So if you have a project that you need some help on, go check out Fiverr. Use the link in the show notes or my podcast website, and you'll help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash choose your struggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Peter. I am so inspired by him. Peter, I, I know you're listening, so thank you for your incredible work. Keep it up. I am so proud to say that we connected. I'm so proud to say that I support you financially. Uh, and yes, listeners, I forgot to say that at the, at the beginning, I have made a donation to Peter's work through his uh, Kickstarter because I just support it so much. So I would encourage you to do the same thing. You know, he can't do this work without our support. So definitely check it out. The link is in the show notes to, to his Twitter. He shouted out where you can find him online. Otherwise, he'll be tagged on social media. All the good stuff. Check out Peter's work. So we're going to do the cards first. And in honor of Peter, I know he's Scottish, not Irish, but we're going to use the Nuggets of Kindness card pack brought to you by Blurt. Thank you, Blurt. This week's card, love yourself unconditionally. Just as you love those closest to you despite their faults. And that's Les Brown. It's a great quote. I was just talking uh, about this idea on a podcast the other day. I was talking about the imposter syndrome. And 
you know, one of the things they asked me is, well, how do we combat this? And I said, one of the, the tips I teach is this idea of talking to yourself the way you talk to a friend. Now, think about a really good friend, one that you would give an honest opinion to. Are you going to let them off the hook when, you know, they're doing something wrong? No, of course not. Are you going to give them your opinion? Of course you are. But you're going to be nice about it. You're going to treat them in a respectful and loving way. You should do the same thing to yourself. And I notice that sometimes I say things to myself that I would never say to my closest friends. And the fact is, it's a lot easier to be mean to yourself in your head than you would ever be out loud. So I love this card. Treat yourself essentially as you would those that you love and, and treat yourself with the same kind of love. That's important. So before we go to the good egg, shout out to my Patreon supporters. Uh, but more than that, for new people, uh, there's a special offer going until the end of March. Anyone who signs up at the empathy level or above is going to get the right to sponsor one episode of this podcast. I say that, so if you start noticing on future episodes that I say the Choose Your Struggle podcast brought to you by whatever, that's why. It's because people are jumping in on Patreon. Um, so, so check that out. If that's a thing you want, you know that level is the $5.34 level. And when you think about it and think about how many people listen to this podcast, it is kind of a good deal. You know, you get one episode. Uh, now, at higher levels, you get more. So check that out. But, you know, for this special uh, offer, you get one episode where I will talk about your thing. So check that out. And that is patreon.com slash choose your struggle or just search for Choose Your Struggle Patreon. It's also in all of my links, and it's in the, the, the show notes of this show. All right, finally, your good egg for this week. Uh, we are in February, which is a lot of things, uh, but the most important thing is it's the one month of the year that even people who are usually overtly racist, the other 11, decide that they need to be nice to black people. So uh, we're going to do a special good egg in honor of Black History Month, now, that's not to diminish Black History Month. I remember growing up, you know, actually finding it interesting because, quite frankly, you know, in my lily white school, we didn't learn about a lot of, of black history. So I really thought that that was interesting once I was old enough to sort of understand what was happening, that this was the month that we actually got to learn some, some pretty cool history. So go educate yourself on some black history in honor of Black History Month. Uh, I have said this many times before. I am a huge Angela Davis fan. I think she's absolutely incredible. Uh, read her autobiography or one of her books. But there are so many. There's so many options. Uh, I just talked about on Monday, I talked about Cast, which is a fantastic book. And, uh, you know, it, it's a, a subject we need to be talking about more. So you can definitely check out Isabel Wilkerson or, or her previous book, The Warmth of Other Sons. Um, you know, there's so many incredible writers. I'm not going to go through every person that you should go read. Uh, great podcasts, all the great movies. By the way, my wife and I watched uh, One Night in Miami, which was fantastic. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh, my God. What a great movie. Uh, <laughs> if, if that doesn't win all the awards, Mr. Bozeman, rest in peace. We miss you. Just so incredible in that movie. Check that out. There's so many good things out. Don't be limited by the, the little bit that our society sort of feeds you, right? We are given, you know, one amazing black actor at a time. We're given, you know, this, oh, this is the hit black director. But there's so many others out there. It just takes a little bit of searching. Check it out. Do it in honor of Black History Month. But most importantly, show your empathy. Be vulnerable. Spread your love. And choose your struggle.